How is everybody doing today? Good. What a great day. I love communion. Just love it. I love doing it with our families. And it's just a beautiful thing to be able to celebrate just the sacrifice that Christ paid so that you and I could sit here free. You know, the saying is freedom isn't free, right? And that is very, very true. And for us to be able to live free from sin costs something. There is always a price to be paid. But fortunately, we had a God that was willing to pay that price for us so that we would not have to. And I'm grateful for that. And so this season of Thanksgiving, I think it's only fitting that we, that we celebrate in this way. And so thank you for being with us and participating with us in such a wonderful, wonderful event. And so today we're going to continue in our series, The Blessed Life. And I'm very happy that you're here today with us for this. This, this Blessed Life series has been, has been challenging um, I don't know about you, but it has been for me, and I will, I will tell you right up front that this message today was hard. <laughs> it was hard to prepare for, it was hard to study for, and the reason why it was hard is because this is where I live. This is where we all live, and, and what, you know, I've, I've said this before, we say it around here a lot, um, and that is the gospel is easy. The gospel is easy. God did not make it difficult for us to be saved. He did not make it difficult for us to to have salvation. But if you want to be a Christ follower, now that gets hard, right? But it's awesome because he saved us and put his spirit inside of us because he knew we couldn't do it by ourselves. And so what we're going to dig into today, you're going to definitely need the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I'm going to need the Holy Spirit to live this out. But I tell you this, it will change your life. And I would like to live a blessed life. How about you? Would you like to live a blessed life? Now, we all have lots of ideas what that looks like, but I can assure you this, that anything that comes from God is going to be great for you. Right? Anything that comes from God is going to be great for you. So Pastor Scott talked about some stuff last week that was very challenging. He talked about uh, dealing with the heart, and he talked about how that God was not interested in our money Right, But he talked about him being interested in our hearts. But the interesting thing is in Matthew chapter 6, we'll unpack this a little bit more today. It says that where our treasure is is where our heart is. And so there's a connection there, and that's what we're going to talk about. I wanna, if you're going to remember one thing from today, I want you to remember this. God is after anything that is after your heart. Okay, God is after anything that is after your heart. So if it happens to be our treasure is where our heart is is entwined, then that's where God's going to go because he wants your heart more than anything else. Okay, so I know, and Pastor Scott said this last week, I know that church has this this, uh, stigma, this feeling, this emotion that all they're after is your money, right? Well, that may be right in some cases, but that is not right about what we're doing here. You say, well, of course you're going to say that, Pastor Andrew. <laughs> uh, no, I, I believe if you track with me today, you will see that what we're really talking about is this and that connection that we have with our Creator. So we're going we're, we're gonna to look at some attributes. Pastor Scott said something last week that just stuck with me, stuck with me. And he said this. He said, more than anything else, giving of, of your money, of, of your time, talent, and treasure, giving works selfishness and greed out of our hearts. What a powerful statement. 
right? Nobody wants to admit that they're selfish. Nobody wants to admit that they're greedy, but it shows up in us all the time. It's our, it's our carnal nature. It's that side of us that we just kind of put a, you know, lipstick on the pig, right? We, we try to make that look a little better than it really is, but that's what God's after. He's want, wanting what is on the inside. And so today, you know, what we did here today was celebrating the very act of the most selfless a case of anything on earth where someone would actually give their life for someone that needed to pay that price. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about a blessed life. We're going to talk about what it looks like when we let go of this, this detestable sinful nature that we're wrapped up in and we start becoming more like Christ and shining his light in the world and making a difference, right? Okay, so let's start with Matthew chapter 7, verse number 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, if you were looking in your Bible and you had a red letter edition, this would be written in red because this is Jesus talking. Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew. They must have lived in Maryland this summer. And beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains come down, the stream rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Basically, Jesus is saying, look, you're listening to things I'm saying. You're listening to words I'm giving you. If you take those things and you put them into action, it's the same as building a house on a sure foundation. And let me just assure you of this. A blessed life is not, uh, it's not junk food. It's not donuts and cakes and your favorite potato chips. Right, That stuff is fun to eat, but if you do it too long, you will hate yourself afterwards. <laughs> Living a blessed life is really about the meat and potatoes. It's about the proteins. It's about the stuff, that, the vegetables, the spinach, the stuff that you don't like to eat. Right? It's the stuff that builds a strong foundation, and that's what Jesus is wanting us to understand today. So I just want to say this before we get into the meat of this thing. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to explain something to you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What a great scripture. It sounds so cool. It sounds so noble. And I don't know what it means. <laughs> I don't know how to lay up treasures in heaven. I mean, is there like a treasure? Is there like an ATM where you can make deposits that have like a heavenly 777 number that it deposit? No. So what does it mean when we're storing up treasure in heaven? That's what we're going to talk about today. I'll make a disclaimer. Everybody will struggle with this, this concept. The reason why I say everyone will is because they struggled with it when Jesus said it. I've struggled with it since I've read it, and you'll struggle with it hearing it today because it's very contrary to our nature, and we'll understand that a little bit more as we go on. I just want you to understand that living a blessed life does not mean, do not misunderstand this. A blessed life does not mean you won't have financial problems. It doesn't mean your car will never break down. It doesn't mean you'll never have an argument with your spouse. It does not mean you will not have trouble. There's a sign that hangs in my foyer that says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. That's Jesus said that. So if anyone is telling you, give $1,000 and all of your financial troubles will go away, is lying to you. Jesus doesn't promise that. 
What he does promise is to sustain you through anything that comes your way. Doesn't matter what it is, right? So, so we've got that out of the way. You understand what we're talking about. Jesus reveals, in this passage I just read to you, he reveals the innate tendency, tendency for mankind to pursue things that are really intangible. We want to pursue things like security and, and, and uh, safety and peace and contentment. Those are the things that we want to pursue in life. And it's interesting because, and I'll help you understand this, but it's interesting because many of those things are attached to money in our society. Security, self-sustainability, all of those things are attached to what we have to resources at our fingertips. And so there's a, there's a flip that happens and we begin to seek these things that are part of our nature. But what happens is since God knows that's what drives us, he put these things inside of us. But he also knows that the enemy has woven a web of deception that pulls us down the wrong path in pursuit of those things. There's nothing wrong with pursuing security and happiness, but there is something wrong with pursuing the wrong thing to get it, right? And so since God knows this about us, he wants us to understand that if you want to get those things, he is the only one that can provide those things, that can truly provide those things, And that's why this teaching is hard for us because it's very contrary to our sinful nature. And Jesus drives this point home even further in this same passage. I read a first part of what he was talking about. And then in Matthew chapter 6, same chapter, same context, he's talking. He says this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And he just calls it out. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, in the King James Version, it uses a word there. It says you cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon is an Aramaic word that means riches. And it's not just, not just speaking about the stuff that's in the bucket up here, but it's talking about the context of what that represents. Riches in the context of self-sufficiency, of complete independence. And what that produces in us is a, is a godlessness. It produces in mankind this, I don't need God in my life for me to be okay. If I have enough mammon or riches or wealth, then my need for God greatly diminishes. You say, hold on, that doesn't make sense. Well, I think it does make sense. I grew up in a foreign country. I met people that didn't have much. And it was amazing the amount of faith and trust they placed in God because they did not have natural resources that could solve all of their problems. And so what God is addressing here when he says you cannot serve God and self-sufficiency, you cannot serve God and you cannot serve this attitude of I don't need God. You can't do both. You have to pick one. He doesn't often put this clear of a line between two things like he does in this context. It's interesting, but he's driving home something that causes us to stumble, causes us to get off course and misdirected. How many of you agree that we are spiritual beings, right? We're human, we're natural, we see things, we touch, we have five senses, but we're spiritual elements, we're spiritual beings. We can pray to a God that is spiritual that we do not see, but yet we can feel his spirit living inside of us. So Interestingly enough, there are, there's a spirit association with money. There's, there's an emotional tie to money. And Jesus explains it in some clarity in this passage. 
basically, he, we either have finances and resources that are submitted to God and blessed by him, in which Pastor Scott talked about this last week, how that when we give to God and we commit our finances to God, that he rebukes the devourer. The Bible says he commands a blessing on us. He puts a protection on us that if we don't have that blessing, we're living out there kind of on our own. So you either have uh, finances, your treasure that is blessed by God, submitted to God, or you have treasure that is not submitted to God and it's left totally in your control. How many of you guys know what's going to happen tomorrow this time? I didn't think so. Neither do I. You may have something in your calendar, but you have no idea if it'll actually happen. You may have something on your calendar this day 10 years from now because you can go on your, on your iPhone. I, I went one time just to see how far I could go, and I just got tired. <laughs> it's already figured out. You can put something in here from 20 years from now, but we do not know if we are going to make it there. So let me help you understand what this mammon or this attitude of self-reliance looks like. It's a spiritual thing that, that wants uh, to rule. It wants slaves. It wants servants. It wants worshipers. It wants people committed to it because it promises security, stability, independence, all of the things that we're raised, right, to become self-sufficient humans that, that contribute to society. Security, significance, our identity, independence, power, freedom, all these things are what it promises to us. But if you really peel back the layers, there is nothing about the monetary system that we know in this world that truly offers those things, does it? We all know stories. We've all lived long enough to have experienced market crashes. We've lived long enough to see people who had what they thought a very solid financial plan and the market changes and all of a sudden the resources and the worth that they had is no longer. I lived in a country, a third world country, that one time uh, they, were, they were having such a problem with, with money being removed from the country and put into foreign accounts that they decided to completely change the currency in the country. And they did it in the period of like a couple of days. So if you had thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars uh, stashed away in a safe somewhere, literally from one day to the next, it became nothing more than paper you could put under your dog pen to keep him from peeing on the floor. Worthless. So it's obvious that this mammon, this, this riches of the world, do not hold security and, and significance and self-worth and, and power and independence. It doesn't really hold that. The only one that can truly provide that to you is God. And that is why when he said you can't serve two masters, he's helping us to understand that if we truly want security, if we truly want to be independent, if we truly want to have self-worth and value, we cannot find it in monetary things. We have to find our identity in Christ. But there is this constant pressure in, uh, on us and in us to, to if, I just, if I could just make 20% more a year, I would be in a much better condition. I think I would be happy. 
If I could just own my own house, or if I could just own that car, or if I could just live in that neighborhood, all those people that really didn't think I was going to amount to anything, I would finally shut them up. I would finally feel like I have arrived. I would have some self-worth and value and self-respect because of the things that I now own. If I could just get that next promotion or raise, I'll have the influence that I would like to have. All of these things are, are things that are weaving a web of deception, things that are in our nature to pursue, we're just misdirected on what we're pursuing. Does that make sense? We're just misdirected. You know, every one of us, I mean, what, what, was, the, uh, what was the lottery a uh, couple weeks ago? 1.6 billion with a B, a big B, capital B. I went to Wawa one evening, this is the night before, I guess they were doing the, the, the pool, and <laughs> how many of you love to eat at Wawa, right? Wawa is the greatest place in the world to eat. So we were there for dinner. We eat Wawa for dinner sometimes. And so we get in there, and there's a line. There is a line. Masses of people, and they weren't waiting on food. They were all in front of the, the, the lottery vending machine. And there was, it was funny because there, you could tell it was not people that normally bought tickets, right? Because there was a person up front holding up the entire line, and two people behind the person were telling them how to do it. Because they, what do I push now? They, did, they had no clue what was going on. But they were going to take this. I mean, literally, they could have put in the right sequence of numbers and been a billionaire overnight. That's a few minutes of time investment at Wawa. Is worth it, right? <laughs> so when we, I'm sure everybody did this, right? It's kind of like you're at the water cooler at work or you're, hanging, you're driving in the, in the work truck with your buddy. Like, so if you won, what would you do? Right? Everybody fantasizes about this, what I would do if I had all this money. And it's interesting because a lot of times we're like, well, I'd give a bunch to the church and I'd feed a bunch of homeless people and hungry people. And we have all these noble things that we want. We, like, I think somewhere in the back of our mind, we feel like that, that God's hearing us say all those nice, noble things, and so he might just drop the right number sequence in our head when we're punching the numbers. I don't know. But we get this whole thing going all right. We're like, honestly, I'd do something really good with it. Yeah. The funny thing is, it sounds noble, and we'd love to do good things with, with a lot of money and, and all that. But you never find Jesus going around teaching that if, if you just have more money, you can do a lot of great things. If you guys just get good jobs and, and get a lot of money and give it away, you'll do great things. He doesn't do that. Instead, what he does is he takes 5,000 men that have been listening to him preach and teach for the last few hours, and they're all hungry. And so one of the disciples, being a nice person, says, hey, are you going to send these folks home so they can eat? And Jesus looks at him and says, well, just feed them. Well, that's lovely. You're just ha-ha, funny. He doesn't say anything about money. They talk about it. You read the, you read in the Gospels. They're over there like, how much money do you have? Do you have 50 cents? I've got, I've got a dollar. Uh, I've got a happy meal. I mean, they're, they're trying to figure out how to feed 5,000 men. So that let's just 15,000 people probably, maybe more. And he's, here's the disciples sweating it. They don't know what to do. And so what Jesus does is he says, bring me what you have. Beautiful, beautiful. This is, this is him living out. You can't serve two masters. He says, just bring me what you got. Well, here's a little lunch. This is the best we got. Then he says, and this is the beauty. He says, Father, bless this. And it says in the Gospels that he blessed it, which is what we're talking about. We're talking about a blessed life. So watch this. Watch what happens. 
when he says bless this, he took the, the loaves and the fish, a lunch for a young man, and he blesses this, and as he begins to break it, right, as you write out that bill, as he breaks it, he gives it, he breaks again, he gives some more, he breaks, they're gathering baskets of bread and fish, they're serving people in groups, they're feeding people, and he's blessed this one thing, this one lunch, he's blessed, and he is giving it out. That is a snapshot of what it looks like when we truly serve God and not serve self-reliability and self-sustainability and selfish motive, right? When we hoard things, we essentially close off the opening of having an open hand and open heart, right? You can't grab more if your fists are closed, can you? But when you open your hands and you allow God to bless what you are and what you have, it becomes something greater than you. It becomes something greater than me, and it begins to do something that only God can do. Imagine the people that day sitting in that group. They were hungry, and all of a sudden they could eat until they were full, and there were still leftovers because they took something, and it was blessed. Jesus makes such a strong statement. He says, you have got to pick a side. You can't do both. The interesting thing about this, when you're talking about self-reliance and you say, well, I trust God, and this, this, is, this is me, okay, this is me. I can believe God that he'll heal cancer for somebody, right? I believe that. I've seen it happen. My mom's been healed of cancer. There are people in this room that have been healed with a terminal disease. I believe that. But then you, you know, if, if, if my bank account's running low and there's a big bill that's coming, it's like God just evaporates. Like all I can think about is what can Andrew do to fix this problem, it's all I think about. I'm living squarely in this mammon camp, self-reliance. I'm essentially telling God, you stay over there and do your God stuff and let me worry about this problem that I have. Doesn't sound funny? Does it sound stupid? <laughs> right? What's wrong with the pastor up there? <laughs> that's, that's how it works. And over here in this camp is this, if you just had this raise, if you just had more money, you could solve these problems. These problems wouldn't worry you anymore. These things would just go away. And oh yeah, that's so true. If I just had more money. And then meanwhile, God's over here is like, look, I'll solve your problems. You just have to learn to trust in me and not in those things. That is hard. It is hard. Have you ever said this? Someone says, how's things going? You're like, dude, I either need God to perform an amazing miracle or I need a lot of money. <laughs> I need God or I need a lot of money. Do you see what that spirit of mammon, that spirit of self-reliance, how it kind of wiggles in there? As if you have a choice between God or that. You with me? Right? That's, that's how it plays out in our mind. We don't need God a miracle from God, or a lot of money. We just simply need God because he knows how to fix everything. We just simply, if we just depend on our, our abilities to solve our problem, we don't really need God unless it's Sunday and we're having communion. If, we, if I can trust in me alone, the only thing I need him for is just to make sure that when I live my lovely life and I die, I have a cool place to go to. That is not how this works. 
That is not what he intended. What he intended for us to do is so depend on him that when we're living our life out in this earth, people are looking at us and saying, I don't know what it is you do or what you have, but I need that. Whatever that is, that is what I need in my life. And it's easy to answer that question. It's just, it's Jesus right here that's doing this in my life. That's what makes the difference. It's our self-sufficient, independent nature that wants to control everything in our lives. So buried in that passage of Jesus saying, you can't do both. you got to pick one. He tells us to store up treasures in heaven. I really like this. How do I store up treasures in heaven? Like if I see a, uh, someone that, that uh, dropped their, their books, I reach down and pick them up and I hand them to them and I, cha-ching, I get a Bitcoin in heaven. Right? <laughs> Or you let the person in in traffic that everybody has cut off. And you're like, bing, another Bitcoin in heaven. Like, I want to know how to check my balance. Like, I would love an app. Like, Bitcoin, heaven Bitcoin, how am I doing? Dude, I'm not doing good. I had some withdrawals this week. I didn't let that guy over. I, I waved at them with missing a few finger wave, and, and it just wasn't working. So I, I lost some. That is not how this works. It's really not very complicated. I mean, it is, but it isn't. It's simple in its concept. It's hard to live out. Really what it means is you actually invest in God's kingdom, in God's economy. It means you actually take money. Like people came up here today and put dollar bills in a bowl. That's actually investing in something that's bigger than you and I are. It's actually saying, you know what? I could use this 20, but I'm putting it here because I believe in this community. I believe in what this community does for people. I believe in a community that gets baskets to give people for things. I believe in something that's bigger than me. And so I'm actually investing in something that is heavenly. When we take our time, talent, and treasure, and we invest it in others and in a church community, we are literally storing up treasures in heaven. We talk about the tithe. The tenth of our income, the tenth of what comes into our, our, our life. And the reason why that's so important is because that's a principle. That is a principle that if we give that to God, he commands a blessing on us. And remember, he is the only one that can truly give security, significance, identity, independence, power, freedom. It all comes from God. It all comes from God. And... There is nothing really that, that the enemy hates more than when, we're, when we give and we're led by God to, to give to his kingdom. Because at the same time, it simultaneously diminishes the kingdom of this world and that, that attitude of godlessness and that, that attitude of self-reliance. And it... And it builds up God's kingdom, and, and it actually makes us more like Christ than any other action we take. There's something when we are selfless. There's something about when we give of what is dear to us that it makes us more like Christ. And that is really what this mission is about. This mission is about becoming Christ on this earth. 
This mission is about finding people that do not have hope and pointing them to a God that offers hope. None of us in this room can remit our own sins. None of us in this room can can truly pay the ultimate sacrifice for our sins that God will allow us in. Instead, he created a plan. He created a perfect plan so that you and I could find salvation and find redemption. And what he's telling us is you have to make a choice. You have to decide, do you want to live a blessed life or do you want to live a life that's totally up to you? He gives us the choice. Living out this principle is not easy. I I get it. It's not easy. But I'll tell you this. If you have ever ever attempted this and tried this and experienced what it looks like to live a blessed life, you will not want to run away from it. You will not want to leave what a blessed life brings to you. I said in the beginning, a blessed life does not mean you do not have problems. A blessed life means that when problems come, you are not destroyed. How many of you know people in your life or in your circle of influence that a bad thing, a bad thing happened to them and it completely destroyed their life? Do you know someone? Sure. I'm sure we all do. Where they just could not recover from that incident in their life. That is not God's plan for you. That is not God's plan for you. It doesn't matter what comes your way. You can have confidence that God will walk you through this. I really, I want to encourage you and challenge you. If you have never experienced this before, Pastor Scott said this last week as well. There's only one time in one scenario where, where God gives us the opportunity to, to test him in his word so clearly as he does in, in the book of Micah when he talks about giving of your tithes. He says, if you do this, this is what I will do for you. And he says, if you don't believe it or you're questioning it or you're not sure about it, just try it and let me prove it to you. Now, this is where faith takes action. And this is why it's a struggle for us. Because in our economy, in our society, in our world, we're taught to be self-sufficient. We're taught to depend on ourselves. We're taught to push and work. And all that's true. All that's right. We are meant to work. But we are not the final say in our life. And when we so separate ourselves from serving God or serving self-reliance, then we find ourselves constantly torn. God's prompting says, I want you to do this. But we're too far over here that it becomes a struggle and a fight. He says, I've got promises for you right here. But I, you can't, you can't straddle the fence. You, you, he says you've got to pick one. You just, you've got to pick one. How, how do I go about storing up treasures and how do I go about having my heart wrapped where my treasure is and that treasure be over here where God is? It's 
where we live. That's the question that's being asked today. That's what we're trying to unpack. It's what we're trying to figure out. God, help me understand how to let go of these things that, that want to control me and let me step into a place of open hands. Step into a place of an open heart. Step into a place where I don't have the answer but I know you'll guide my... Have you ever faced those moments? This is what a blessed life life looks like. I've got a big decision to make. I've got a choice. I don't know the right one. I've got this. I've got this. I don't know what to do. God, help me. You don't hear anything. No signs in the sky. No random phone calls from someone you don't know saying you should definitely pick A, not B. None of that happens, right? You just, you pray, you ask God, and you just take a step of faith. And you look back and you realize, I chose the right choice. That's what a blessed life looks like. Or your child is sick and you just whisper a prayer over that child. The next morning, they're fine. The fever's gone. They're okay. We just, we just let those things slip into the ether. But that's what a blessed life is all about. You apply for a job that you know you don't have a shot at. You're like, the only thing in that job qualification that you have is you're a person. That's it. (laughs) You're living and breathing and you can show up. But you know, you really feel like this is what I want to do. This is what I need to do. And you take a shot at it. You pray, God, I need you to help me. I need you to bless this situation. You go in and you get the job and things change in your life. And you go, the funny thing is we're, we're so quick to go back afterwards and say, man, I landed it. Landed it. And then we just were so prone to thinking, it's just really because I just killed the interview. Just really, you know, finally someone recognizes how awesome this guy is, right? We just forget that really over here in this blessed life, he's orchestrating things. He's moving things. Oh, man. When you don't feel like you can afford to give, but you do it anyway, and somehow... There's more money than month, right? Because it's normally the other way around. More month than money, you know, but somehow it shifts and you don't even really know, no, no check came in the mail. Just things happen. You didn't really watch all the bits and pieces, but God just did it. That's what a blessed life is. When you get to lay your head down at night, close your eyes and rest in peace. That's what a blessed life is. Let me tell you, ultimately, ultimately, The reason why we want to live a blessed life is because we become a beacon of hope to a world that is hopeless. I want whatever that guy has, and that guy has Jesus. And all it takes is you just doing what you do every day, but you're living in this camp. People around you are watching. Your life is a testimony. Your life is the is the message that's being preached. And people around you are saying, I want what that person has. That's what wins people. That's what produces hope. It's not what church you go to. It's what kind of Jesus you have in your life. It's what lives right here. A blessed life is meant to be something that's displayed so it points clearly to the one that blesses the life.
This is tough work sometimes. We say something around here a lot. And it's it's, it's becoming kind of a mantra for me. And that is, we believe, we live, and we teach that God loves you and will accept you in whatever condition you are. We don't believe that there's anybody too bad. We don't believe there's anybody too good. He will accept you just as you are. But here's the second part of that. He promises not to leave you where you are. And every one of us that finds our way to a cross and finds our way to a Savior, every one of us, when we find salvation, we are smart enough to know that we got a lot of us in the way. We've got a lot of us that needs to be looked at. We got a lot of us that doesn't line up with the attributes of Christ. We got a we got a lot of not so much patience, not so much love, not so much kindness, not so much gentleness, not, not so much of those fruit of the spirit stuff, right? We see ourselves from the light of the word that says, you got some work to do. But once the Holy Spirit lives here, all of a sudden we now have the power to face a decision of picking God or picking self-reliance. We have, we have the ability to say, you know what? I'm going to trust God. I'm going to invest in God's economy. I'm going to give of my time, my talent, my treasure because I'm laying up treasure in a different place. You know this. You've heard this statement probably before. You never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? You can't take the stuff with you. You've heard that, right? Do you realize the only thing that you can invest in that is eternal? Do you know what that is? It's people. A soul is the only thing on this earth that is eternal. And when you sow into God's economy, you are investing in something that is eternal. You're literally laying up treasure in heaven when you put your time and talent and treasure into a community that believes in helping people grow, become better, become closer to God. You're actually laying up treasure in heaven. That is amazing. If you still look at putting money in this bowl as a bill, you're missing the point. If you're still thinking, well, if I give, I should be able to afford If you're doing that, you're missing it. If you're doing that, you're missing it. If you understand that what I have and I get to pour out and it's going to help somebody else. You know, if we keep these lights on, there's going to be an NA group that will meet here today at 6 o'clock. And there's going to be somebody who is at their wit's end that is going to find hope in that group. Do you know that if we keep doing what we're doing here, there'll be somebody next Sunday that will come up here to our prayer team and they'll confess their sins and Christ will move in and their life will be changed and we'll get to see them get baptized. And that's one more investment in something greater than what we do. Yeah, you just have to reframe. We got to live over here where God's kingdom is and forget about the self-reliance, independence, and all that stuff and let him show us what real security looks like. Oh man, I'm getting excited. God, we are unworthy, but we are so filled with gratitude that you have made a way where we can be in your presence as sons and daughters. We're grateful for that today, God. We celebrate your life. We celebrate your death. We celebrate your resurrection. 
We celebrate the freedom that you bring us. Thank you so much for today. In Jesus' name.